Hey everyone, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies and we try to bring each other into our separate interests with the latest news in both books and sports. Today's episode is books. Finally, I feel like the last episode went on forever. Sorry about that, guys. Got a little emotional, but we're back to the fun things that are books. Don't Maybe... worry. Books also make people emotional. <laughs> I was going to say, you guys will probably understand better than the sports fans do. But in the latest book news, we're kind of going back to the past because it relates to Senator Josh Hawley. I was going to say we're not going back to the future because that would be way better, I feel like. That's already a movie. Wow. Josh Hawley is the senator who lost his book deal with Simon & Schuster after the events on the Capitol on January 6th. Now, his book deal has been picked up by Regenery. It is a conservative press. However, the situation is made more complicated by the fact that this new publisher for Hawley's book is one in which Simon & Schuster handles the distribution in all markets and territories around the world. So, like, Simon & Schuster got rid of you, but not really. I kind of hope that they're like, we're not gonna distribute your book. I feel like they've got some sort of contract that negates the ability to do that. Sadly, more than likely would be the case. It's just so frustrating that you still have people out here willing to put up with a whole insurrection. Yeah, but the book isn't about the insurrection, so I got No, but he is an insurrectionist. A supporter of the insurrection. So I don't want anything he says at all in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. No matter what it's about. And even more of a throwback, I suppose, you have a Batman comic that was auctioned off this past week. A mint condition Batman number one was sold at Heritage Auctions Comics and Comic Art Signature Auction. That's a mouthful. It is. It sold for $2.22 million. Wowzers. This isn't the first comic to feature Batman because the first one to do that was Detective Comics number 27 about a year prior. Yeah. But it is the first time you see the iconic Batman villains Joker and Catwoman for the first time. Mm. Those are pretty important characters amongst that comic series. Right, yeah. But you can't read it. So, like, what's the point? Yeah, it's a mint condition book. You're never going to open it. You're just going to frame it and be like, ooh, it's so pretty. Look, I spent way too much money on something I'm never going to touch. And then go download a PDF version of the actual (laughs) comic and read it. It's like almost reading it. I'm reading it on my tablet. People like this sort of thing, I suppose. This week, Netflix announced that they will be adapting the Heartstopper graphic novels by Alice Oseman. Heartstopper Volume 1 came out in 2018, and there are currently three volumes out, with the fourth coming out later this year. The graphic novels are about two teenage boys attending a British all-boys grammar school. It's an LGBTQIA plus series of graphic novels, so it's uh, a male-male relationship in that one, which you would assume from them going to an all-boys school. Yeah, not many girls in a boy school, so that kind of helps the direction of that storyline a little bit. Yeah. The format for the Netflix show will be an eight-part live-action miniseries. Because the author had spent 2020 writing the script for all eight episodes, and the casting call is already underway, there is potential for a late 2021 release date. I don't think that's going to happen, but people are optimistic. 
And speaking of adaptations, nice little segue into the next one. Sure. Or an attempt at a segue onto the next one. Yay. The Keepers of the Lost City by Shanna Messenger is becoming a movie. This is a best-selling middle grade fantasy series that has a ninth and final book slated to come out later this year. Only the ninth book? It's a long series, but this is a middle grade series, so I feel like it's not as complicated. But when you look at how chunky the books are, like, all the books are, like, a Harry Potter book size. Like, a middle of the series Harry Potter book size. Okay, I was gonna say, I'm like... You had a look. I had a look on my face that was like, um, some of the Harry Potter books aren't that big, and the other ones are, like, chunks. From what I've seen, they're about as big as, like, the fourth or fifth Harry Potter books. For, like, all of the ones that I've seen. A lot of writing them. They did come out with a novella in between books eight and nine, I think. So that one's shorter, but the rest are all about that big. Yeah. The live-action movie on Disney Plus will be directed by Ben Affleck through his production company, Pearl Street Banner. And from what I understand, this is a series that tells the story of a girl named Sophie who's 12 years old and just learned that she's an elf with magic powers. So she grew up in the human world. Got it. And my understanding is it's similar to when Harry goes into the wizarding world for the first time. And so you have a method for the reader to get introduced to all these new ideas. But then at the same time, she brings a whole new perspective to these people who really haven't had a lot of outside perspective before. Gotcha. But I don't know because I haven't read it. This is just what I know of the series. German publisher... Toschen, who knows? We need to work on our German. Are coming out with a table book for what they're calling sneakerheads. It's a terrible name, but for people who are into sneakers. It's not a terrible name. They're very proud of it, actually. So sorry, sneakerhead fans. We don't want to piss you off, but. The latest book comes from a collaboration between Virgil Abloh and Nike. Okay. They explore not just the look of each shoe that they've put out, but also documents inspiration and charts the creative process from prototype to completion. I mean, it's good for anyone who really likes sneakers. I don't know that there's a huge audience out there for this, but it's one of those giant, like, table books. Yeah. Well, people who love sneakers is a very specific... You'll have to send me that information because I know about half a dozen that work in my workplace alone. And I'm kind of growing into it. Like, obviously, I don't collect them, but, like, I appreciate the artistic value of a lot of them. And I think that's kind of cool, some of the things they've done. That's very weird, but all right. Like, I've shown you those that one pair of uh, Nikes that I really liked that had, like, the Chicago City flag coloring. Right. And... Those are really, really cool, and I think that's kind of a cool adaptation on art. Well, I can understand that to a degree, but like regular sneakers, I'm like, whatever. We're not talking about your black-on-black vans. We're talking about like the artistic redos of like Jordan 1s. Like in this instance, Kamala Harris's, what is it, uh, step-cousin or whatever, like like Kamala Harris's cousin-in-law who wore the Dior ones, which were the Air Jordan ones that were redone by Dior to the inauguration. It's it's, I, it's becoming a big thing. I knew nothing about this. Yeah. For me, my fashion icon from the inauguration was Bernie Sanders. So, like, I don't know anything else happening. Is that your style? Comfortable <laughs> and oversized? Yes. Yeah. 
And the last bit of actual news from this week was that more than 250 authors, editors, agents, professors, and others in the American literary community have signed an open letter this past week opposing any publisher that signs book deals with President Cheeto Face or members of his administration. Hmm. And part of the letter reads, We all love book publishing. But we have to be honest, our country is where it is in part because publishing has chased the money and notoriety of some pretty sketchy people and has granted those same people both the imprimatur of respectability and a lot of money. The letter went on to invoke Son of Sam laws, which prevent convicted criminals from profiting from book deals. So, like, you can't commit a crime and then write a book about it and make a lot of money. Could you write the book about it and then, like, say the money goes to your family who is outside of the dumb things you've done? I don't think so. I think you can write a book, but, like, you and your family aren't allowed to profit. Yeah. Because, like, President Cheeto's face is youngest son, like... I don't know that he's really done anything wrong yet because he's still a child. Um, I didn't know he had a child who wasn't Don, Eric, or Tiffany. No, he's got a, a son named Baron. Um, I'm sorry, his name is what? Baron, B-A-R-O-N, like, like a rich Like person. a Baron? Yes. Like an oil Baron? Yeah. Okay, not diving into that because that has nothing to do with <laughs> books. <laughs> it was related, though, in the sense that, like, if a criminal writes a book about Oh, I just meant I'm not going off about his name. No, oh, okay. I do don't think he would be allowed to have money okay. if Cheeto Face was convicted for all of his many crimes. Gotcha. Because, like, I'm sure there's, like, mass murderers out there that could write a book about the things they've done and their family who they've screwed by just doing these things, you know, they could probably use the support and things, situations like that. But I guess that would come down to the publishers more so than anything. I'm pretty sure the Son of Sam laws include family members, but yeah. I'd have to look into it. Yeah. But the real big news of this week is all the new releases that are going to come out in February. Yay! Insert clapping noise here. You're such a nerd. I'm sorry. Okay, so the first one is The Project by Courtney Summers. I read Sadie by her before. I wasn't super impressed. You had a decent build-up to the story, and I actually got along with it better than I would think I do. Yeah. But as we learned last year, I'm actually okay with YA mystery thrillers. So we should no longer be surprised that I was enjoying it up until the last like 50 pages. Yeah. Because there was something that the main character did that I felt like was out of character and she never would have done in any situation ever. And then at the end, you get to the big climax and it basically fades to black and then you see what all the repercussions were from whatever happened when you faded to black. And I felt like that was just sloppy, just poor writing. But I kind of want to give her another chance based off this book. It releases on February 2nd. It is a standalone mystery thriller about cults. Now I know why you want to give her another chance. Right? It sounds so good. So basically... There is a cult called the Unity Project, and this girl's sister gets sucked into it. So she decides to try to save her sister by sneaking into the cult to get her out. That sounds like an awful decision. Doesn't it? But it's a teenager, so maybe we can excuse it. <laughs> we can't, but we'll try. Yeah. But me being someone who likes true crime and, like, the study of cults and manipulation and, like, how you can go in being a sane person and come out being someone completely different. Yeah. I think this might actually be pretty interesting if the author's done her homework. Yeah. 
I think so too. I think it would be a very interesting thing. It's not something that's written about too often, I would imagine. At like a younger age, you don't really hear stories I about it. I think you have more cult-related books in like new adult or adult. Yeah. I think it's far less likely to be written about in... Like teenage years? Teenage Y Perspectives. Yeah. And another book that comes out on February 2nd is All the Tides of Fate by Adeline Grace. This is book number two in the All the Stars and Teeth series. What I know about the first book is this is set in a kingdom where you have a bunch of danger beneath the sea. Mermaids are seeking vengeance with their song. And magic is a choice. So... My understanding is it's like a mermaid story. Let's say when are mermaids not seeking vengeance? When they're asleep. Yeah. And I know that the main character in the first book has to pair up with someone to try to get her magic back because it's disappeared or something. Right. And this one goes on from there. I thought that All the Stars and Teeth was a standalone, but apparently this is a series. So for anyone who's reading that, they can pick it up on the second It sounds interesting because, like, I've always been into, like, the pirates in, you know, shipping naval fleets, that kind of stuff at that point in time, like, where the mermaid theories all came from, so. I think this is also a fantastical world, so it kind of pulls out of our normal, like, piratey time frame. So you're talking, like, Peter Pan style? No. Okay. It's just there's magic. Got it. Which is the basis of fantasy. No kidding. And then there's a Kristen Hannah book that also releases on February 2nd. I bring this one up because she's well known in the literary side of publishing. I'm not a big fan of Kristen Hannah, but like my sister-in-law is. This one is called The Four Winds. It is a literary fiction or historical fiction, kind of towing the line there. It's set in Texas during the Dust Bowl. It follows a woman who must make the choice between staying in Texas and fighting to keep her livelihood, her farm, or going west to California to try to find a better life. As we knew in most instances, it was a worse life. I personally would not like to read about this. I don't like reading things that are historical fiction, but then it's like, the Dust Bowl was not a great time. No. So, like, I don't know that I'd want to read that. Yeah. But I know Kristen Hanna is sort of lauded as this very good writer. She does a good job with making the readers connect to her story and to her characters and getting them very emotional. Uh, I've always been interested in, obviously, any level of American history. So, like, the Dust Bowl is something I've learned a little about. So, like, if it's accurate, it could be a kind of a cool opportunity to learn some things. I know that a lot of people did go to California to get away from the Dust Bowl. So, for that matter, just west. Just not my thing, I think. And then Neil Schusterman is coming out with a new book on February 9th called Game Changer. This should be a standalone based on what I read. It's a fantasy novel that starts out with a guy taking a hit during a football game and getting thrust into another dimension. So it's like parallel universes sort of story. And in the story, you see him exploring other dimensions in an attempt to get back to his own. Sounds pretty good. They've had a couple stories like this across different genres and age ranges coming out in the past few years. So you'd have to really see how this differs from other versions of this kind of story. But Neil Schusterman is a beloved fantasy writer, so I could see this being really good. I think the fact that it starts out with a football game tackle seems a little odd. 
Like, do you have to get tackled in a football game to change dimensions every time? It's to uh, help people like me get interested in it. Maybe. Because as soon as you said football, I honestly just perked up a little bit. I was like, oh, Neil Schusterman and football? Oh, goodness. <laughs> but I do know that he's a beloved author in the YA community, so I'm not shocked to hear that, like... Yeah. It should be good. I just am questionable on reading it. Did you it pre-order depends- it? No, I did not. Mm. It depends on how the whole thing works like how the magic or whatever it is works the slipping between dimensions because if you can find a way to make it make sense then this will probably be really good and a book i just found out about recently that's coming out on february 9th is the gilded ones by namina forna it is the first book in a new ya fantasy series i didn't write down notes about the synopsis because i've heard about it recently and i think i can remember it we'll see basically There is, in this fantastical world, a ceremony where at 16 years old, you get cut somehow on the hand, on the arm, something, and they are checking your blood because if you have red blood, then you're normal. If you have gold blood, then they believe that it's because you were possessed by a demon. And so when that happens to our main character, they have to try to survive this whole ordeal where they kind of want to kill her a bit. For being a demon. I feel like you would know earlier on than that ceremony that there's a chance that you bleed gold blood? Or is it like only exists right at that age? I feel like it happens when you turn 16 or something like that. I don't know the full details because I haven't read it. But it sounds good. It seems like something that's going to be popular in the YA community over the next year or two. But with new fantasy series, I try to wait a little bit before I pick up the first one because... I don't want to get hooked on something and then have to wait over a year for the next book. Right. So this is one that I'm probably going to wait and see what reviews are saying and then pick up in a month or two. It sounds interesting, honestly. Like, um, in fairness, I haven't read a lot of books, but like, it it sounds like it would be a fun plot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another February 9th release is The Iron Raven by Julie Kagawa. It is the first book in a new YA fantasy series. Basically, Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream, if you remember the Shakespeare play. Sure. You really should know this play. (laughs) Anyway, he is out to tell his own story and face threats in the fantastical land of the fairy. So it seems like what the whole premise is, is the mischievous character from Shakespeare's play Puck was a fairy and then like what all happened in that situation and other things that are happening now that he's out to tell his own story. I don't know the play. I know you don't. (laughs) But You haven't looked at my blank stare of like, oh. You have like a 2,000 yard stare. Yeah. Anyway. It's going to be good for people who know and enjoy Shakespeare and specifically A Midsummer Night's Dream, but I think this could also be good for anyone who likes the idea of fairies and fae and all the trickstery things that they do as a like mythological species or whatever. Yeah. And then a book that I just heard about yesterday when I was writing my notes is Hot British Boyfriend by Christy Boyce. Also comes out on February 9th. This is a YA contemporary romance. No one is surprised based on that title. So after being publicly rejected, Ellie flees to England for her school study abroad trip. So you get rejected automatically, you go to England, of course. 
And while she's there studying, trying to get ahead, she decides that the key to boosting her confidence is getting a hot British boyfriend. That's the goal in life for some people, I would imagine. It's that (laughs) accent. The accent gets you. It's really not that great. Depending on where they're from. Yes. But... It also seems like she's got this wingman who's like helping her because he's into a lot of the same stuff that the guy that she's like crushing on likes. And I think it's going to be something where like she's supposed to date this guy, but the guy helping her ends up being the guy or something like that. But it sounds cute. It also sounds like a quick, easy read for like the week of Valentine's Day or something if you're looking for something that doesn't take up too much of your time or attention. Yeah. I also worry, though, because I read Kisses and Croissants this past month, during this month, actually. And while I was reading that, I'm like, that's not what you're here for. You're here for ballet. So I think if I read that, I would also be like, that's not what you're here for. You're here to study abroad. Yeah. So I think the mom in me might come out a little bit. Oh, no, you don't. Yeah. Get back to class. And then one that a lot of people are looking forward to is coming out on February 16th. It is A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Maas, book four in the A Court of Thorns and Roses series. This isn't a series that I've read, but it's very popular in the YA community. Despite the fact that a lot of adult themes and things happen in it, it is a fae reimagining of Beauty and the Beast. I like Beauty and the Beast, but based on some of the art that I've seen other people posting and based on what people are telling me, this would not be my kind of thing. But it's been years since they've had a book come out in this series, so this is like a big title coming out in February. Yeah, I know that you have a thing for Beauty and the Beast retellings and or originals, so just because every time you you kind of get like this gut feeling of being able to sing the songs from the Disney movie originally. So I'm not shocked that you might be interested in this, but... uh. It's got too many like adult themes and things like that based on my understanding of the series. So is it like a WB version of it or is it going to be even further than that? I think it's a little bit further than that. I think it might be HBO. Oh, so I love your comparison, HBO. At least we didn't get to Cinemax. It could be worse. I didn't even know that about Cinemax. So that tells you me. There you go. And then The Galaxy and the Ground Within by Becky Chambers also releases on February 16th. This is book four in the Wayfarer series. So two book fours are coming out. Yeah. This is an adult science fiction. I read the first book, really enjoyed it, but didn't feel like I wanted to continue on with the series. But this is a well-loved adult sci-fi. It's basically a The first book, at least, was a band of misfits in space are given the job of opening up a wormhole through space to a distant planet. Sounds like one up my alley so far. I mean, I really enjoyed the first book. I love the characters and, like, you see them as a crew develop their relationships and their friendships. And that was really fun to see. But also you get to see a bunch of different planets that they have to stop to to, like, fuel up or whatever on their way to this distant planet to open the wormhole. Yeah. So this, I don't think, is the final book. I think there's going to be more after this unless I'm wrong, which is possible. Well, it doesn't say. It just says books one through four will be out this year. And then the last one I'm adding, I only saw it yesterday in this giant list of books coming out in February. So I picked this as the last one to talk about because it's inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. And I 
read the premise, I was like, yes, do want. It is called The Initial Insult by Mindy McGinnis. It releases on February 23rd. This is a YA thriller mystery that's been inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. It is the first in a duology. The premise is that in fourth grade, Tress Montour's parents are driving her best friend home and they wind up dead. In the current timeline, her ex-best friend Felicity Tornado still isn't talking about what happened that night, but Tress has a plan and she will have her answers or she'll settle for revenge. Sounds good. Okay, yes. Sign me up. I will take that. Where on the dotted line do you have to be? Also, the name of the town that this is taking place in is called Amontillado. So, who knows what she's going to do to this girl, but I'm very nervous. But also kind of excited. But those are the top 10 releases, I would say, as far as popularity or my interest in them for February. Well, it sounds exciting. It sounds like there's a lot of releases coming out in February that are going to be pretty good overall. Or there's an audience for these, like, already built in. Like, yes, they will obviously buy them, which is kind of how February works as a release month. Like, it's not one of the most sought-after release months. It's also one of the shortest months, so that probably helps the cause a little bit when it comes to how many they can release in that short of a time. As for what I've been reading... This past week has kind of been a weird one because it took me six days, so more than a week for all the reading I did, to read Red Sister by Mark Lawrence. This is an adult fantasy novel from 2017. I ended up rating it three stars right in the middle of the road there for me. What this series was pitched as to me was assassin nun school plus a couple of the teachers are lesbians. And, like, that's all I really went into it knowing. But no one told me that the assassin nun school takes place in the main character's point of view from ages 9 to 13. So that was a thing to, to which I had to adjust. And I found out I don't like reading about 9 to 13 year olds learning how to be assassins. And I think part of that is just, like, I cannot connect to this character because I am a 31-year-old woman. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that, like, there's a level of brutality here that has to exist in order to harden the person you're trying to train into being an assassin that feels kind of wrong to see on page. For a child? Because, like... These kids knock the crap out of each other, and more than that. And there's a lot of violence there that's hard to read seeing happen to fictional little kids. But more than that, I had a problem, I think, with the writing style itself. Because you had a lot of, like, small things that happened that at the moment that it's happening seems like a big deal. But over the plot of the whole book, is not like a climax of the story. And it felt like there really wasn't one. That's kind of rough. Which is, like, difficult to read. Like, the format, especially for books written in English, are that you have rising action, a climax, and then falling action, or, like, recovery from what just happened, basically. Right. So, reading something that's, like, these tiny little hills versus, like, the giant climax you normally get in stories was kind of frustrating. The weird thing is, like, they are at this convent to learn how to kill people but at the same time like there's a level of warmth and coziness to this convent that I really enjoyed and I think that's part of the reason that it got a three star from me is the way that the setting itself is done but then 
when you get to, like, the magic and how that works and, like, the elements and, like, the rules that are supposed to be in place that at least the author should know whether or not he tells the audience, feels like he doesn't even quite understand how the magic works. And so, like, you see her going through these classes and trying to study, but it feels like no one knows what's going on, which makes it very difficult to wrap your own head around. Yeah. There's also a moment where there's this false prophecy, and it's very clear to the reader, it's very clear to the main character that this is a false prophecy. This is not a real thing. Like, someone said that it was so that we could move forward as a religion or whatever. And basically, it's a device that gets pulled out and used to explain people's behaviors based on whether or not they believe in this prophecy. So you'll have certain nuns being stricter with these people who are supposed to be part of this fake prophecy because they believe it's true. And then you have those who give the characters more leeway because they know it's not. And it feels sloppy. Like, I like the prophecy, I like the idea of the prophecy, but by the time you're done with the book, you yourself as a reader start to think that it's not a false prophecy anymore. So it's like, you told me on, like, page 30 this isn't true, and then here I am on 475 going, well... Seems pretty true. It seems like it's true. Yeah. Based on all these things that have happened and all these characters that start to come into play out of the middle of nowhere towards the end. Like, there's plenty of action and violence if that's what you're looking for here, but when it comes to, like, character, character development, it's not there for me. I felt like the writing did pick up in the second section because I felt like it had to do a lot of introduction and info dumping in the first section, so that was at least a highlight towards the end, is that it got easier to read. But, like, the character development is so bad, and the world building and the magic felt sloppy. There is also a turn or a twist at the end that felt very obvious. And, like, I felt like there should have been more red herrings to lead away from this, or you should have worked on the character who does the thing more in order to prevent the reader from being like, well, of course that happened. Why is anyone shocked? What is happening? Right. So, I don't know. Like, it's it's hard because, like, I thought I would love this book. And it's just middle of the road for me. Yeah. And I've heard so many people talk about how they love this. So I'm like, is this me? Am I the problem? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with you having an opinion that's different than everybody else. Obviously, you know, everybody interprets things a little bit differently, so. Yeah. But then I went on to read or reread Vengeful by V.E. Schwab. It's the second book in the Villains duology, or what could possibly be the Villains trilogy. It was released in 2018, which is very many years after the first book. I rated this one four stars. What I don't really remember from my first time reading, because this is only my second time reading this book, I didn't remember a lot of the stuff that was happening with the non-core group of characters. So, like Marcella and Marcus? Like all the characters who are not our core, like, four characters. So Eli, Victor, Mitch, and Sydney. A lot of the things that are happening with everyone else I was just like oh oh wait that did happen (laughs) and like there's one thing at the end that I'm not gonna mention because you've only read half of it 
Thank you. I appreciate that. I what know. Are you going to tell me? You're censoring me very much. Yeah. There's one thing that happens with one of the side characters that hit me like a ton of bricks when I reread it. And I was like, I've read this book before. Why didn't I remember this? And I feel like the author left open a door at the end of this one to be like, and maybe I'll come back. In another four or five years. We shall see. No, there really is a rumor that there's going to be a third one. So we shall find out. But we'll discuss Vengeful a little bit more later whenever we talk about what you've been reading. It's the only thing I've been reading. But for now, I'll discuss the last two books I'm going to try to finish by the end of January. Now, okay, you can't judge me for this one. That's how I'm going to start talking about this next book. I'm now on the edge of my seat ready to judge. Aren't you always ready for that? No. Okay. So this is a backlist book from 2015. I got it as a free ebook for Valentine's Day from this book group I'm a part of on Facebook. So like I got it for free. It's also obviously a romance because I got it for Valentine's Day. It's called The Deal by L. Kennedy. Basically, a hockey player in college agrees to pretend to be a girl's date in exchange for her tutoring him in a class that they both have together and he's failing. Yeah. And, like, I say don't judge me because, like, if you look at the cover online, it's very obviously, like, a romancy time book. But he's pulling it up right now, of course. This isn't my normal thing, but I don't want to judge people for liking this sort of book. I'm interested in this book because there's a hockey player in it. I like hockey. But also, <laughs> I like I like the fake dating thing. He saw the cover, obviously. <laughs> I like the fake dating trope to where, like, they're not really dating, but then all of a sudden, like, maybe they're dating because they have feelings. About to make a deal with a college bad boy, it says, for the (laughs) summary. That's what made me laugh. I was like, I did not expect that. Yeah, I didn't expect that cover either. But, like, you can enjoy books that are just light and fun and aren't things that have to be, like, the next great American novel or whatever. No argument there. I'm just, it's not what I expected. (laughs) But I read 50 pages of this before we sat down to record today. And it's better than I was expecting so far. We'll see what happens. 300 pages to go. I'm a little concerned. (laughs) But... Okay. Basically, fake dating trope. Yeah. I'm into it. We'll see. And then after I read that, I'll be picking up Girls of Paper and Fire by Natasha Nyang. Which is one that you've had for a while. Yes. This is a backlist book from 2018. I bought it in 2018, but I had planned on reading it early 2019, and it was like on my list of books to read. But then I heard some early reviews coming out about how you have some questionable moments of sexual assault and things like that. And I went, okay, we're going to take our foot off the gas for this one and come back to it at a later date. Which is a little bit of a dilemma and kind of a bummer because the author is friends with somebody that we watch on a regular basis on YouTube for a vlog. And so... Like, we knew no matter what we were going to buy the book because we wanted to support her because we thought she was great based on the times we've seen her in the vlog. Yeah, and Um, she seems like a very nice person. I think it also is sort of, I don't know, it seems like it could be a good message about consent and, like, there's an LGBTQIA plus relationship in here. So, like, good representation as well, possibly. But I think 
you have this sort of problem where you have to discuss sort of ethics in real world versus like a fantasy world where like some people can excuse certain things happening in fantasy books rather than happening in the real world because A, it's not real, but B, you have different situations and scenarios based on how their system works in comparison to the real world. And that's a whole other conversation. But I personally felt like I had to put it on the back burner when I heard that. I think now is a decent time for me to read it without it just absolutely... crippling spiral? Just absolutely ruining my life. So I will give it a shot and see. Basically, in this story... Each year, eight girls are chosen to serve the king, but this year is different when a ninth girl is chosen. And there's a caste system here where you've got the king and his group on one caste and then another group. And then this third group is where they call all the girls who are hired or forced to serve the king. Right. And I think two of the girls in this harem fall in love. And that's sort of the premise there. It just depends on how it's done. This is one of the books I have on my list for what I called Read It or Leave It 2021, which are the eight books that have been sitting on my TBR for a minimum of a year that I wanted to read by the end of 2021 or never read these books and just set them aside because they've been on my shelves for so long. Yeah. Specifically, there's one that's been on my shelves since 2016, so almost five years now. It's a pretty long time. And this is one of those books that made that list. So we'll give it a shot this week. Sounds good. Honestly, the the book sounds interesting. I know that the underlying story plot issues that you're going to have with it, what they're going to be. It sounds like a lot of people actually really like the book beyond the fact that those things happen. Right. Well, and And that means there must be mostly good things that people enjoy. Because if it was a book about just sexual assault it wouldn't be a popular book i would imagine well and it'd be a very bad book yeah i think if you're in a fantasy world and that's all you focus on but it's like i'll compare this to the time that i read an ember in the ashes because i bought the ebook for that when it was on sale right before the second one came out many years ago and one of my friends said well you know there's this in the book and I was like no I didn't know and she read it for me ahead of time and she was like yeah you shouldn't read that so I didn't for several years and then I finally read it and I was like what are you talking about this book is amazing yeah like yeah that scene is kind of dicey but like besides that this is it's a really great book it's the most amazing book I read this year right and then I continued on and read the whole series so it's a matter of is this one thing going to be a big enough deterrent or will everything else sort of overcome that like i understand why you get warnings like that and you give warnings like that because there are people that if that might be what flips that switch for them and you want to avoid that situation but at the same time if they don't know how you're going to naturally handle the trauma they can't really speak directly to what right your trauma may have been so Well, even then you have this situation where everyone's going to react differently to every type of situation. So, I mean, I was okay with what happened in An Ember in the Ashes, but who's to say how I'm going to feel about what happens in Girls of Paper and Fire? I have to read it to find out. Facts. So that's what I'll do. Yep. But moving on from that heavy subject, (laughs) uh, let's discuss what you've been reading this week. I've been reading a book, guys. Amazing. (laughs) One a-hole we have. Uh, uh. So, you, (laughs) you're welcome. You read the first 
almost half of Vengeful. 48% of the book is what it it ends up breaking down to, but yeah. Um, By our lovely V.E. Schwab. I feel like January is the month of V.E. Schwab here. Well, you know, that's going to take a little rallying cry, I think, to get everybody behind, but yeah. Uh, for me, anyways, that seems to be kind of what it, the way it is. But no, it it kind of picked up right where it left off in the last book, which I am glad because it allowed me to kind of stay on track with what's going on. Again, the flash forwards and flashbacks are driving me mad, and I'm able to keep it pretty straight. But there's a couple times where I'm like, oh, uh, what happened last time? And I like I have to go back and kind of like look through it a little bit. I feel like I sort of had a similar issue, not to that extent, of the timeline jumps. And I feel like it's just not as clean as it was in the first book. I can agree with that. And it it doesn't bother me beyond just saying what I just said. Yeah. You know, I'm still really enjoying it. And again, the pieces where they're placing them make sense. And so, you know, V.E. Schwab is notorious for doing that in this book series. So she seems to still nail it pretty well on the head for me. So I can't really like, guys, this is the worst book because of this. Like, it still flows. And so I don't have that big of a problem with it. I do like the introduction of other EOs, like story perspective. You know, having family from the Chicago area, I've heard a lot of mob and mafia stories. So I like that tie in a little bit, too. Yeah, that was Um, fun. I liked that a lot. Because, you know, my grandmother's family owned a hotel outside of Chicago where mob members went to cool off after they committed murders and crimes. I I hope they got paid very well. I'm, I'm sure they did. But because of that, I love those kinds of stories. It's interesting, to say the least. So I... I've been on the edge of my seat for most of it. I feel like this is a little thicker book and there's a lot more being set up for this book. Yeah. Like the action in the previous book was very little set up and then it was there. And with this book, I'm hoping that it's just like this mind blowing situation because Mm -hmm. kind of like some of the Harry Potter books, I feel like there's a lot more being set up. I feel like in this one, we've got Marcella, who's this EO, and another character that like... I don't like them as a person, but you're a good character with her own sort of motivations and actions that like, if you met someone in the real world, you'd be like, this is obviously a very bad person. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, I kind of like you a little bit. Like you're a very bad person, but I like your character a lot. Yeah. And I kind of understand that perspective. But again, this whole book series has kind of been that like edge of darkness, but good. Yeah. situation where you're kind of just like walking that fine line and I feel like this time you're definitely seeing Eli in a little darker well I guess Eli in a little bit more of a good guy situation and Victor the other way around to an extent you know like Eli's clearly doing it for himself everything he's yeah. doing like I guess you could see it kind of bad but like he's, he's working with the good guys I guess in this instance more so than he was for himself I think this duology possibly trilogy makes you have to learn how to redefine good guys bad guys evil good constant through the whole book the whole time you're sort of going well okay he did that for a good reason but that was a really bad thing he did yeah and so it's sort of one of those things where you're constantly changing opinions about these characters almost like I know how I feel about Eli same as I've always felt about Eli but at the same time when moment to moment you're analyzing the behavior you're like well no that was a good thing that he just did even though I don't like him at all whatsoever yeah because he's kind of helping the new group that's the 
the good guy group, I guess, kind of Eon. Uh, Eon. Yeah. At first, you again, you start off going like, "Man, these guys are a bunch of bad dudes," and then you're like, "Okay, they're they're kind of trying to be good-ish." Yeah. You know, they're still again borderline bad, but they're not trying to be monsters and just kill everybody either. So you know, but I, I I'm again thoroughly enjoying this book. It again has me on the edge of my seat. Like the other night, I knew I was close to the end of my reading, and I'm like. I really want to finish it all right now. And you're like, it's 1045. We need to go to sleep. And I'm like, because I'm an old lady. And I'm like, you're right. I'm tired, but there's only like 25 or 30 more pages to go. Like, yeah. but I, I'm not torn. I really enjoy this series so far. There... I feel like I'm enjoying it more than I enjoyed Harry Potter, which yeah. I'm not shocked to say, because there were times in Harry Potter where I really hated the book series. And there were times where I was like, this is good. There is one scene that I want to ask you about. I'm pretty sure based on things you've said now, you've already read it. When Eli is first at Eon. Oh, and he's being tested on and cut up into a million pieces and clamped open and all those awful things. Yeah. When I was reading that, there was one moment when they were going in detail about the stuff they were doing to Eli. And I had a moment where I had to put the book down because I'm like, I'm about to pass out. Like, just the descriptions of the things they were doing to him. I'm like, oh my god. And as a boy, I was like, this is fantastic. Keep this going. As a guy, I'm like, yes. Well, like... I don't know what it is, but something about, like, blood-related things. Like, I don't care about if you want to take my blood, stab me with a needle, whatever. I don't care. But, like, seeing it portrayed in media just makes me about to hurl. I think it's the funniest thing because knowing your history of education, you were at one point pre-med. And somehow... That changed, didn't it? Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah. Maybe you came to that realization, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. At those moments, I was feeling so much sympathy for him. And I'm like, no, that's not allowed. I do not like him. Stop feeling like this right now. Yeah, you kind of feel bad for him in that situation at that point. And then at the same time, you realize he's still the bad guy that he was from the first book. So I don't know. It's It definitely has you flipping back and forth, obviously, on those emotions, whether good or bad or evil or they're yeah. doing good for evil reasons or whatever. You know, like it's it's been good, though. Have you met the rest of Marcella's crew? No. None of them? No, I didn't even know Marcella had a crew, so congratulations. Well, she's in the mob, or her husband was in the mob. Yeah, I did see, I I will tell you the one scene that was, I think, the craziest for me was the poker game. Wasn't that great? Uh, uh, I was legit rooting for Marcella at that point, (laughs) like, F them up, do it. Yeah, yeah. And and so, like, I don't know, it's, it's been entertaining, to say the least. Well, and I feel like Marcella is like that as a character. Like, she is one of those people who absolutely has to make a show out of her entire life. Like, she is one of those people who has to be the center of attention and she has to make a scene. And so now giving her this power, especially something so potent, I feel like it just goes into that for her. Yeah. And that's fun to see throughout the novel. Definitely. It's been good, and I, I'm I'm really excited to continue reading this um, and learn maybe about her crew now that you've given me that spoiler. There's something for me to be interested in reading about At it. least I put it that way and didn't say other things. It's true. It could be worse. But I also feel like in this one, you get more from Sydney as a character. You definitely do. So you you see the, the frat party scene, which was kind of like weird because you know she's grown up, but not 
like people don't notice yeah because her growth was so stunted and so i don't know it it was a weird scene for me i feel like because i'm like you're still a child yeah because you look like a child well no and even like the way she acts she still acts like a child she doesn't act like an adult well and i also feel like some of that stems from the fact that it's just her mitch and victor constantly for five years she doesn't get to know the people in her own age groups and like i would not want to go through puberty around victor like that'd be weird yeah there was a scene that really kind of made me have a distaste for victor with them it was kind of like a challenge moment to sydney in the alley and i'm sure you kind of remember it i don't want to go beyond that because it reaches borderline spoilers at that point, but he really puts pressure on her to make like an adult decision. Right. And she's incapable of doing it. And then she does it and it doesn't work out that way. And he's like, well, maybe you are more grown up than I thought you were type of like a conversation. Right. So, Well, you also have to understand who Victor is as a character because Victor, for him, her ability to do the thing that you're talking about says good and positive things about her versus what it actually is, which is a negative thing Yeah. under everyone else's understanding. But Victor is sort of a product of not only what he's been through for the last 15 years, yeah. but he's also always had this thing about him that we found out in the first book, which is he has to fake a lot of his emotions. He's not an emotional kind of guy. He's wired differently. And that is usually a sign that maybe you're dealing with a psychopath and like, I can't diagnose fictional character, whatever. But like psychopaths, Victor has a tendency to not really see the line for what it is and cross it back and forth without knowing that he's doing it. And I feel like that moment is that for Victor. Yeah. No argument there. I kind of agree. And reading this one, I felt bad for Mitch in a way that I didn't really in the first one. Because this one, I feel like he's just getting drug along for whatever Victor's doing. Versus in the first one, he felt more like a partner to me. Him and Sydney both really are kind of that way. Like, he's still relevant, obviously. But at the same time, like, is it to the same level? You know, he's not... He's just there to help do exactly what Victor wants, and that's it. Right. And he is so smart, and I feel like that's just sort of taking away from who he is and who he could be by having him be the sort of sidekick for Victor. Yeah. And there are other characters I want to talk about, but you haven't gotten to the thing that happens with them. Yeah. So I won't. Yeah, pretty much the it's still the main core group plus Marcella at this point for me, and that's pretty much it. So. Yeah. But... I will be finishing the book this week. Good, then I can talk about everything. Yep, so next week uh, you will get a full wrap-up of it. And then at some point this week we have to figure out what I'm reading next. Well, I have thoughts. Yeah. Because my goal with season two is to have you read things that I've read and loved throughout my life. And then season three is more trying to find things you like. Yeah. Because I'd have a better basis of understanding what you like and what you don't like after we get done with this season. Definitely. So that is the plan. I thought you were going to say Stan. I was sitting there waiting for you. No. Oh. In the meantime, make sure you guys check out all of our social media, which should be linked in the show notes. And we will be catching up with you next Tuesday for a sports episode. Hooray. Pew, 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 pew. But until then, guys, stay up on that social medias and we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye.